Do you agree with him that what the House proposed was, was mean? I think what's mean is a system that has 6.5 million Americans paying $3 billion in taxes or penalties in order so that they have the right not to purchase health coverage. But that's a mean system that may work for I'm Dan Diamond. This is Pulse Check, and that was HHS Secretary Tom Price defending Republicans' health plan at the Aspen Ideas Festival. If you're listening to this podcast, I bet you know what is happening this week. Republicans are pushing forward on their health bill in the Senate. There are going to be many twists and turns. And who should you watch? What should you wait for? To break that down, I grabbed Jen Habercorn, a tremendous congressional reporter, as we talked about the key turning points and the key decisions that need to happen for Republicans to pass their health bill this week. We'll get to that conversation in a moment. But if you like Politico Pulse Check, there is Politico Pulse, the newsletter. Stay on top of what's happening in the healthcare fight in D.C. and beyond. It comes at 10 a.m. for everyone, 6 a.m. if you're a pro subscriber, but it's the single best breakdown of what's happening on the Hill and what's happening in healthcare policy. You can sign up at politico.com slash politicopulse. And also, this is a special bonus podcast from the Pulse Check team. We know there's a lot happening in healthcare. We wanted to bring you the inside scoop. If you like this podcast, can let me know. I'm at ddiamond at politico.com or at ddiamond on Twitter. And with that, here's Jen Habercorn. So it is an incredible week in healthcare policy. It feels like everything is happening at the same time. Nothing has happened yet. Joining me to discuss where healthcare could go in the Senate, Jen Habercorn, our ace congressional reporter. Hey, Jen. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. How do you think this week is going to go? So it's Monday morning. I'm a little skeptical of making a firm prediction because I feel like by this afternoon, things will have changed. By the time people listen to this, the world will be 180 degrees different. Yeah. And I feel like the only thing I'm confident about this week is that it's going to be totally crazy and we're going to have a lot of ups and downs. I mean, all bills, let alone, you know, we think back to the House bill was like a roller coaster. Some days it seemed like it was about to pass. Other days it seemed like it wasn't. And it didn't pass. There was that whole five week period when it looked like it was either doomed or they were going to have to revitalize it, resuscitate it later on. So it it is totally unpredictable. And we could be at the first stage of what turns out to be a similar roller coaster. Absolutely. It seems like right now we're at this point where, you know, we have five senators who've said, I won't vote for the bill as it is. We know the bill is going to change. They at least have to add continuous coverage. Um, it seems like they're going to add other things, too, to try to get some of the moderates on board. Um, but I think the question for McConnell at this point is, does he put this bill on the floor to fail so that he moves on? Or does he come back and you know tries again after Fourth of July? And which of these senators are serious of their opposition? I mean, Heller seems he's at the point now he can't really come back and be a yes. Dean Heller and the Nevada senator. Yeah, and that press conference on Friday, he boxed himself in pretty good. I'm telling you right now, I cannot support a piece of legislation that takes insurance away from tens of millions of Americans and hundreds of thousands of Nevadans. Let's come back to Heller and, and talk about his press conference and where the other senators stand. I thought you had the best view of what the week could actually look like in terms of the things that need to happen before a bill gets passed. You passed us along. It was in Politico Pulse on Monday. So what is the first thing legislatively that needs to happen? The first thing is the motion to proceed. This is normally a procedural vote. Senate votes to formally start debate. And um, that we don't know when 
that will actually be scheduled. Heller indicated on Friday he thinks it might be Tuesday. I think that's a little um, quick. But that is a vote in which Republicans need to be on board. I mean, Republicans could kill Obamacare repeal in that vote if it happens um, and they're still not all cohesive and supportive. By simply deciding not to vote to proceed because they think, why proceed if they don't have the votes to actually pass it on the floor? Right. And sometimes opponents of the legislation will allow debate to start with the kind of understanding that they can make it better once it's on the floor. But if this goes down in flames, it's going to go down in that vote. Got it. So then the next legislative step is the 20 hours of debate. For listeners who might not be as plugged in on the Hill, what does that mean? Is there any kind of upside to slowing down the bill there, or is that pretty constrictive? Yeah, that's pretty constricted. I mean, both sides will come to the floor, make their arguments. You know, we'll probably hear a lot of things that we've heard in the past. Democrats, of course, will rail against it. Republicans will support it. Um, But if lawmakers want to get on the record in a floor speech, that's when they have the moment to do that. We'll probably see many charts. I I see this as like social media prime time. This is when the Democrats will be out there making the most emotional plea possible. And then their press team will immediately push that out across every possible network to show that Senator X from Massachusetts or New York is firmly against this bill. Absolutely. It's made for social media in some ways. (laughs) Made for Politico, too. So uh, points of order. This is essentially the next legislative step. Yeah. So Democrats, if they have any opportunity to kill this bill or strip out parts of it, it'll be in points of order. And again, this is total Senate, you know, parliamentarian wonk, but it'll become very important. Um, Democrats, when the bill is on the floor, will raise a point of order saying this provision violates Senate reconciliation rules. And then the parliamentarian will have to make a decision. And if she says that it does not follow Senate rules, it's out. One thing that has made this a little more interesting is Senator Ted Cruz has said the parliamentarian decision shouldn't be final. It should really be the person who's sitting in the chair. That's, you know, normally it's um, a a low-ranking Senate Republican. They kind of have the duty of sitting in the chair. And they usually just parrot what the parliamentarian says. Um, Ted Cruz wants Senate Republicans to get together and overrule the parliamentarian, which will need um, support of the majority. And um, as of right now, I don't think Republicans are on board. They see overruling the parliamentarian as a next step in overruling the legislative filibuster. So I don't, as of right now, see this being something that Republicans get behind. But, you know, it's like like we were saying, it's going to be a long week and things could change. And it's also been just a weird couple of years in in the Senate where some norms have fallen. And Mitch McConnell, who was always this pillar of talking about the procedure in the Senate and and maintaining that, we have seen changes under his watch to things that were procedurally normed. Mm -hmm. So could they like nuke the parliamentarian? Not literally, but just... (laughs) Nuke her rulings, I guess. (laughs) It's it's something on the table and something to watch. So one question on, on points of order. The parliamentarian's role has been heavily debated. You've written stories on this. We've had this in Pulse that the House bill had to meet the parliamentarian's sign-off, essentially, Mm -hmm. to be considered in the Senate. So how many surprises could there really be at this point, given that there's been all this talking with the parliamentarian to get here? 
Republicans tell me they're confident that the House bill will meet the parliamentarian rules and that they're not worried anything will go down there. But there are big remaining issues on what's in the legislative text, one issue being abortion language. Typically, abortion language is considered policy and not budgetary. And in the past, the parliamentarian has ruled that abortion policy um, cannot happen in reconciliation. And just to be extra, extra clear, if you're just joining us, having been in a coma for six months, Republicans are using budget reconciliation and not the normal way of crafting a bill where you need 60 votes to be filibuster-proof. They only need 50 votes with a Mike Pence as tiebreaker. Right. This is only relevant in reconciliation, not under other kinds of legislation. So so let's say the abortion language is stripped, for instance. Um, that would become a huge political problem for Republicans because they do not want to um, uh, let the Obamacare insurance exchanges, which currently require abortion coverage in most circumstances, to get into their bill. So if if Democrats are able to successfully strip that language, it'll become a political problem. There's other things that, you know, Democrats would love to eliminate, you know, just because they want to scale back the Republican bill and wouldn't be as big of a political problem. But we're definitely going to be watching Democrats' points of order, see if they can, you know, notch any wins. So points of order can happen throughout the procedural process. But another step that needs to happen is Voterama, which reminds me of like when I was a kid and would go to the skate park and like, I feel like its name was Voterama or maybe it was just Skaterama, but like something sort of in that vein. But Voter- This will be just as fun as that. Well, it depends <laughs> if you're watching or you're reporting on it. I, I don't know if you're going to physically be there, but this could be hours upon hours of watching amendments be put forward. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, this is another opportunity Democrats have to score some policy, more likely political wins than policy wins in this circumstance. So you don't think Republicans are going to accept the amendments that they're putting forward last minute on on the health care bill? No, probably not. So this this is, again, a weird thing that happens only during reconciliation. There's unlimited amendments. Anyone can offer any amendment in this process. So obviously, it will be mostly Democrats offering amendments. Um, Typically, this process starts at like four in the afternoon. The majority strategy is to start it then so that, you know, the minority eventually gets tired and stops in the middle of the night when they get tired. Um, And Voterama happened when the budget was passed, which set up this whole reconciliation process. I I remember, and listeners might remember, too, from five months ago. just a couple months ago. And Democrats didn't put up that big of a fight. I forget what time they ended, but it was not you know, not a heroic effort. Um, Democrats this time, though, want to draw a ton of attention to this. And progressive activists, as you reported in Pulse, really want this to be a long, drawn-out effort so that they can, you know, cable news is paying attention, that Americans are paying attention, Twitter is paying attention. So Liberal let's say, activists, some of them want not just like a day here. They want days. They want or a year. A year, yeah, yeah. Which I, is not going to happen. No. But, but, but actually, let's think about it. Why couldn't it happen? Is it because it would, it would kill senators because they'd be constantly going to the floor and, and be sleep deprived and it'd be some sort of like psychological experiment? Or is it not going to happen because Democrats, as much as they hate this bill, feel like it's politically unrealistic to throw everything at it and shut down the entire gummings of Congress? You're right. We should talk about this. So um, if Democrats can literally stay up 24 hours a day, in theory, they could do this for a little while. And again, we're getting into Senate parliamentarian weeds. Mitch McConnell can say at some point that the minority is just um, engaging in delay tactics. And then again, the parliamentarian would rule, no, unlimited amendments are allowed in reconciliation. And 
you'd have the situation in which Republicans would overrule the chair. I don't see 50 senators agreeing to stop Democratic amendments. I just don't think they'd be willing to do that. But again, we're in uncharted territory. And there's one other component here, too, which is as much as Democrats do hate this bill, they also recognize on some level it's political opportunity. After all of the pain that was visited on their party after the Affordable Care Act passed, now they are starting to use the exact same tactics on Republicans, and many of them either in private confidence or if you talk to analysts and observers, we had Neera Tandon on the podcast last Mm -hmm. week, the liberal leader, and she basically said there is a school of thought that this is win-win for Democrats at this point. You either kill the bill, that's maybe the best win, or the bill passes and then you be victorious at the upcoming midterms. So after Voterama, now we are really getting to the the, the brink of the bill and Mm -hmm. there would be the substitute amendment. Yeah, so the way reconciliation will work, um, it will be the House bill that actually comes to the floor first, that motion to proceed that we talked about. Then at the end of Voterama, um, whenever Democrats tire of amendments, Mitch McConnell will introduce the substitute, which will be the, you know, it's, it's essentially the Senate health care bill. They will vote to replace the entire House bill with the entire Senate bill. And that will be really a key vote. That will be them putting that language in. And that will be the vote to watch. It'll happen whenever Voterama ends. So if that's three in the morning, this vote will happen at three in the morning. It's more likely to happen in the middle of the day sometime. But that will be a key vote to watch. And then we get to the final vote. Yeah, and then final passage. Once that amendment's in, um, perhaps there could be other amendments. I I sort of doubt it. But then we'll get to the final passage. That's when they need a majority. Um, We're expecting they won't get 51. They'll get 50. Mike Pence will have to come in. That will be like a big to-do. They'll probably have the helicopter on his car as he's driving over. I'm not even exaggerating. I think that will be like a big story. Here comes Mike Pence. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, Pence will have to be there also to put the substitute in, I assume. Also, um, the Senate typically takes these big high-profile votes from their desks, meaning all senators are sitting at their desk. Um, They do the roll call. Senators stand up. During passage of ACA, they did this. And I think it was... um, uh, you know, once one Democratic senator stood up and said, you know, this is for my pal, uh, Teddy Kennedy, who had recently died. So it's a bit of pageantry, showmanship, essentially, that happens on these big votes. And and more recently, uh, when Democrats were voting against the budget, they stood at their desks and de- uh, denounced mm-hmm. the Republican plan. There, There's social media video of that. I remember watching that at like three in the morning or whatever it was. So that is the legislative order. There are a few other turning points. I don't know if we want to dwell too much on them because as we are sitting here talking on Monday morning, there's a good chance things will change the week and, and we don't want to say things that are immediately defunct. But the CBO score may be worth talking about for a minute. Uh, it is expected to be bad. I wrote a story with Adam Cankern on this. Couldn't get anyone to give a formal estimate, partly because there are so many different variables mm-hmm. in the Senate bill. And also, it's just moving so quickly. The House bill had leaked. It had been out there for a few weeks. The Senate bill didn't come out until last week. So talking to people at Brookings and elsewhere who had broken down the previous House bill said, can't say for sure what this would be, but probably a range of $15 million to $22 million in coverage loss, maybe a little bit better, better in quotes, than the House bill, so not as deep cuts, but certainly a big change from where we are. And then the savings cuts, which are something that Republicans are not just touting as a legislative achievement, but they want to pay for their tax plan, those are expected to be in there too. And do you think those savings will come from 
Medicaid rolling back as late as it does? That's an interesting question. And I will caveat that not only am I not a pundit who should predict things, I'm not a budget analyst either. But having talked to folks for the story, the coverage estimate, they say, will still be essentially where it was in the House bill. Because even if Medicaid expansion rollback is pushed off, it's still getting rolled back. The savings estimates, unclear how that will be changed too, but they're probably going to be in the bill and they will be touted. And I think, Jen, you and I have gone back and forth about this, just the amusing nature of Republicans are going to attack the CPO score, but what aren't they going to attack? The savings. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they will say that the coverage is wrong, but the savings are right. Mm-hmm. Cherry picking. So certainly the CBO score is not going to be helpful in terms of headlines because of the big coverage number lost. Remains to be seen if it will actually scare any uncommitted Republicans away. And that's what I want to get to now. So you and I, we can run through this list of maybe eight to 10 Republicans. We won't spend more than 30 or 45 seconds on each one. Otherwise, our producer, Rachel, will will tackle us. (laughs) But let's start with the folks who are more firm and where they stand. Ron Johnson, Wisconsin senator, where does he stand and is he gettable? I think he is gettable. Um, He says this is too rushed. He wants more information and it won't do enough to bring down premiums. But I don't think he's going to be the hardest Republican to get on board. And again, he's a no right now, which is somewhat of a surprise. And you had a great story on who is Ron Johnson and why is he the (laughs) one out there pushing against this bill? He had an op-ed in The New York Times on Monday arguing that one thing he doesn't like is the guarantee on pre-existing condition protections. Rand Paul, where does he stand? Is he gettable? I think he's going to be one of the hardest ones to get from the start. He's been a no. He's, all, you know, we remember him running around the house looking for the bill. Um, his, with, his, with his copy machine yes. looking for the House bill. Yeah. His opposition has got a little more serious since then. Um, but I think he, you know, he says that this bill is keeping 90% of Obamacare. I think Senate Republican leaders have written him off for a long time now, knowing that he's never going to back this bill. Yeah, his, his attacks on, on the Affordable Care Act are amusing when he talks about now this is Obamacare light, an ally to Democrats, though not by choice. Right, right. Dean Heller. So Heller, you know, as we mentioned at the top, his press conference on Friday, I don't know how he ever turns that around. I don't know how the bill could change enough to get him on board. I mean, if he were to flip-flop now, Democrats would just run his own press conference against him. He not only said no, he said that the bill lies about premiums. Yeah. He went after the bill for saying it would lead to coverage declines for tens of millions. Not only would Democrats use it against him, I think they can use it against other Republican senators. He oh, wrote them totally, a campaign yeah. Ted Cruz, where is he and is he gettable? So Cruz put out the statement with Ron Johnson, uh, Rand Paul, and Mike Lee saying that they are no's as of right now. I think Ted Cruz is pretty gettable. He has been negotiating this bill for a while. And, you know, unlike basically his Senate career until recently, he really wants to be a team player on this. And his support is going to be important because it will help win over the House. Um, If he votes for this, it will have a much easier time getting through the House. And I think Republican leaders in both chambers want him on board for that reason. And, And to caveat that, there has been a lot of back and forth over whether the House would push back on the Senate bill or whether they would simply just pass it. And I think our reporting would suggest it would be a pretty smooth glide path, Mm -hmm. even though the House has spoken out about, oh, we don't want these changes. A lot of that feels like posturing. And if it makes it that far and it has the support of Ted Cruz and the other Senate conservatives, it would be very, 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 very hard to see it failing somehow. Exactly. 
Mike Lee, you just alluded to him, the Utah senator, conservative. Where does he stand? Is he gettable? Yeah, he's on this list, too. I think he's going to be harder to get than Cruz, but easier than Rand, um, if we're going to put these into categories. He isn't as outspoken as the others, but um, he's going to be a tough vote to get because he does not feel like it, it repeals enough of the health care law. He had this amazing blog post on Medium where yeah. he ranted against the bill and said how awful it could be and how it sort of seemed like a cynical attempt to do health care policy. But then in spite of all that, I could still see myself voting for it. It's worth reading. Right, right. And also, I think it's worth noting that typically he and Cruz are a tag team. And um, there's some speculation that Lee won't vote no unless Cruz does. This is all yet to be seen because, again, Cruz is being a little different this time around um, than he has been on other major bills. I want to pull up for a second. So those are the five people who have come out and said no Senate Republicans can only afford to lose two. If those five stuck together, it's done. As we just alluded to, as Jen just explained, good chance many of them will flip. Now let's get into a few of the undecideds. So again, 30 to 45 seconds. Maine Senator Susan Collins, where does she stand? Is she gettable? Um, she has not gone as, as far as the others. Um, I think she's going to be very hard to get, though. Um, the bill would have to move very far to the center to get her. She voted against the 2015 reconciliation bill. She is the only Republican senator who's still in office who did so. Planned Parenthood is a big thing for her, uh, rural areas, and um, uh, she too is worried about the Medicaid rollback. And she's talked about she doesn't want to vote for a bill that takes away coverage from tens of millions of people, which raised the question, I can't remember who made this point, would she be okay voting for a bill that takes away coverage from 19 million people? It's <laughs> only 110 and then 9 million more. Bill Cassidy, Louisiana senator. I think he's going to get on board. Um, he, too, has raised concerns. I don't know if you saw Jimmy Kimmel tweeted at him over the weekend and said... I missed that. He, he essentially said, you know, don't forget you set this Kimmel test. There are things in this bill which adversely affect my state that are peculiar to my state. But if those can be addressed, I will. And if they can't be addressed, I won't. So right now I'm undecided. That said, I think... I think with some minor changes, he could get back on board. Cassidy had been very outspoken about he would only vote for a bill that took care of the children and the vulnerable. On CBS Face the Nation yesterday, he basically said, I'm gettable if you make sure this doesn't hurt Louisiana. Rob Portman, the Ohio senator, or really, let's just use him as a stand-in. Is there yeah. anyone else out there who's worth watching who could be flippable? I would put Portman and Shelley Moore Capito from West Virginia in the same category as kind of leading the um, fight for Medicaid expansion states. Um, they're not crazy about the bill as it is right now. Um, they also want additional opioid money. And I think um, both of them would be gettable if the bill moves a little to the left. Again, we're talking about a balloon here, and we push it to one side, and you lose folks on the other side. I don't know that there is a path that gets you Rob Portman and Mike Lee, um, and that's the huge problem facing Mitch McConnell right now. Yeah, it's fair to say we had the same questions in the House, and yet right. a few amendments offered last minute as almost like a policy ability to say that we accomplished something, even if it didn't make that much difference to the final bill. It yeah. gave them the cover Look to vote. at the MacArthur Amendment. A Tuesday group person now out of the Tuesday group and the Freedom Caucus. So could we see some kind of Heller, um, Mike Lee compromise that, you know, helps Heller go home and say he changed the bill and, you know, Mike Lee gets something on the conservative end. There will be a lot of movement among those legislators. Keep your eyes peeled to Politico Pro. Politico, we will be tracking that closely. Jen is heading right to the hill after this to to glom on to any senator who walks by, <laughs> pick their brain. Warning. <laughs> The the last thing I want to talk about, and as as we wind up, how this has been covered and reported, 
there has almost been a story about the story. And mm-hmm. it's been interesting for us to watch because we talk about this and track this every single day. And yet you've got Margaret Sullivan, the former public editor for The New York Times, now a columnist at The Washington Post, writing an entire story about how the media has failed to cover this bill. Chris Hayes, the MSNBC host, you tangled with him on Twitter when he said it's something to the effect of it's amazing that this bill is getting passed or getting written up in secret. What are your thoughts as someone who has seen this bill and other healthcare efforts over the years? You know, I, I've, I have thought a lot about this. I think we're so in the weeds, and you're right. We talk and write about this every single day, and we have for several years now. Um, I get a lot of heat on my Twitter account sometimes, and I'm sure you do too, Dan, that you know we're not doing enough to cover this. And we can only put so many front-page stories out and web lead stories about Obamacare. Um, we cannot go to people's homes and grab them by the collar and hit them over the head with a sledgehammer and, and tell them that this is important. Especially if Obamacare goes away and those conditions aren't covered. Exactly. Then, exactly. Then they'll be in serious trouble with that broken head. Yeah. So I'm not sure if this is a problem with us or with people not paying attention to what Congress is doing. Um, I, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I've, I've thought about it a lot, too, for a couple of reasons. As, as the pulse editor, essentially, I'm pulling coverage every day and mm-hmm. seeing what people are writing. And there is some truth to it not leading the front page of either major newspapers around the country or regional papers, too. Mm-hmm. That has changed. I, I ran by the museum in Washington, D.C. on Friday, where they pick one paper from every state and put it outside. This is not perfectly representative, but it's an interesting way to kind of get the pulse of the country. This was the day after the Senate bill. I think of the 50 states, roughly 45 of them had health care as a front page story, and in many cases, the front page story. And almost all of those stories were pretty aggressive about what it could do to taking coverage away. I think the flip side of this is I have seen the networks not do a great job. And I've, I've shared this anecdote with you. I, I guess I'll just say it on, on the air. I got asked to do a segment on a national network. I, I will not say where, but you know, big audience. About two weeks ago, they brought me in and said, okay, let's talk about the health care bill. How does the Senate bill differ from the House bill? And I had to say, we don't, we don't know. It hasn't been released yet. And they just kept coming back to that question. And then at the end, the host said, you know, I think the House bill, it's going to be so much worse than the Senate bill. I said, how do you know? She said, well, that's the message I've been hearing. And it, there, that segment ultimately didn't run because there was nothing there. And the fact that the fact that the bill was kept so secret, I, I do get why Republicans did that from a strategy perspective. Mm-hmm. And it did help mute the coverage because there was nothing actually there. Mm-hmm. It's hard to write that process story. It's a lot easier to write the story when the bill drops. Right. And if you're thinking about a regional paper, you want to say, how does this bill affect Iowa or how does this bill affect you know Alabama and that's very hard to do when you before you have policy details we can write about the process and we can write about the politics um, but if you're trying to write how will this impact my state that's very hard to do when you don't have any details in legislative text we will be writing a lot about the impact this week on the states on the senators on the health of the Politico reporters who are covering it I will <laughs> let you get to the hill Jen Habercorn thank you for making time to talk about this crazy week in healthcare policy thanks Dan Hey, it's Dan Diamond, and we're adding this in after the podcast went out. It's Monday evening. Normally, we don't do this, but because the CBO score just dropped, and it's such a focus of attention, I wanted to append a few points. According to the CBO, there would be a 22 million person rise in the uninsured over the next decade under the Republican bill, 15 million alone next year. There would be savings of $321 billion 
over that decade too. And that's important for a few reasons. One, Republicans are going to tout that as a win. And second, it gives them some negotiating room with moderates who say that the bill doesn't go far enough to be generous. Now Republicans can offer some trade-offs and give a few billion dollars here or there, and they'll still be able to meet the deficit goals of this legislation. But as I record this addendum, there really isn't anything that's changed so much from when Jen and I talked this morning. Just want you to have this information. That's it for the special bonus Pulse Check podcast. There may be more coming this week, depending on what the news does and breaks. Thank you to Rachel Cusick, our ace producer, for sitting in, and Jen Habercorn for sparing 30 minutes before she ran to the hill. If you have thoughts, feedback, suggestions, you can find me at ddiamond@politico.com. Please rate, review, and share Pulse Check. And we'll be back with a new episode very, very soon.